0: We have the real pleasure tonight of having Isaac Julian here with us um, uh, for this Meet the Artist um, and uh, it's important because uh, Isaac is uh, featured upstairs in uh, the uh, part two of the cinema effect, uh, realisms. Um, As you may remember, we opened part one a few months ago back in February, which was subtitled Dreams. And it's our way of taking a look at certain issues in film and video uh, today, uh, including especially the issue of the kind of blurring of the distinction between what is real and what is an illusion, which seems often to be at the heart of of some of the artists who are working in the moving image uh, medium. Uh, today. And so tonight, uh, we have one of the artists uh, here. Next week, uh, on the 26th, on Thursday, uh, we will have Candice Brights here, who is also uh, featured uh, in the Cinema Effect exhibition. Now, the first uh, part was called Dreams. The second part uh, is called Realisms, uh, almost dividing into that kind of dichotomy that cinema is often split into between the the Melies side of things and the Lumiere side of things, the fantasy, illusion, dreamscape, versus the Lumiere side which is the the documentary, the realistic image, the reportage side of things. But in fact, uh, the, one of the points we're trying to make is that you can't really just break it down that way and the two begin to slip into one another. And I'm sure that'll be part um, of, of the talk tonight. Um, and Elgood and Kristen Heilman were the curators um, of Realisms and I want to congratulate them on a really great show upstairs which looks looks very, very beautiful, and which actually opened up today. I want to uh, say a couple words of thanks. Uh, uh, First of all, to the Stephen and Heather Mnuchin Foundation uh, for their uh, support um, of this ongoing series, which wouldn't be possible without them. I want to thank Melina Kalinowska, who organizes tirelessly this series of Meet the Artists, uh, which uh, seems so easy, but in fact, uh, when you're with the Smithsonian, requires about a file this size for every one of them. So thank you, Melina, for, for organizing these. Tonight, our program uh, will uh, feature um, Isaac Julian, who's a London-born uh, filmmaker and artist, and he'll be, uh, his is entitled uh, Creolizing Vision, Part 2. Um, and he's really one of Britain's foremost artists. He will discuss in particular, I think, uh, this trilogy that he's done, installation trilogy, called True North from 2004, Phantom Afrique from 2005, Western Union, Small Boats from 2007, and I think uh, beyond that he will also discuss, which came out of that, uh, Phantom Creole from 2005, uh, which is now, uh, I'd like to tell you, uh, in the Hirshhorn's collection, and it's the one you see upstairs in the exhibition that opened today. Um, After the lecture, Uh, Isaac will be joined by Kristen Heilman, one of the curators of the show, uh, and they will continue their conversation, and then we'll open it up if there's time um, for questions to the rest of you. Isaac was born in London, 1960. Uh, He has his B.A. in Fine Art uh, in Film uh, from 1984 from the Central Saint Martin's School of Art. He has his postdoctoral studies, did his postdoctoral work in Brussels. He's extremely well known for his single screen films as well as his installations in the quote art world. And he came to prominence I think uh, primarily in 1989 with a drama documentary that was called Looking for Langston, which was about the poetic explorations of uh, Langston Hughes. He was nominated for the Turner Prize in 2001. And uh, he's been the recipient of other prizes such as the MIT Eugene McDermott Award in the Arts in 2001, and the Frameline Life, uh, Frame Lifetime Achievement Award uh, in 2002. He was part of Documenta 11 in Kassel in 2002, I remember that very well, it was an extremely amazing work, and uh, the Venice Biennale as well I think in 2003, and won the Grand Jury Prize at the Kunstfilm and the Biennale in Cologne. Um, he's had solo exhibitions at a whole bunch of places, but I'll just mention a couple. The Irish Museum of Modern Art in Dublin, uh, at the Pompidou Center uh, in Paris, and the Moderna Musite in uh, Stockholm. Uh, among many other places. And he also uh, recently curated a really remarkable exhibition uh, about Derek Jarman called Brutal Beauty at the Serpentine Gallery in London. Um, and it also marked the premiere of an amazing film of his called Derek uh, from 2008, just this year. And I would just like to you know, sort of add to this uh, before introducing Isaac that one of the things I think he's been so important uh, in accomplishing Uh, is that not only has he made these great pieces but he's been one of the instrumental people in expanding our concept of what the cinema is today. Um, the cinema can exist in all kinds of places today, not just in the movie theater, which his works often do, but also in art galleries, and it can exist in a linear fashion on a screen in which montages used the old-fashioned Eisensteinian way, uh, with clashes of shots next to one another, but those clashes can also occur and three-dimensional space uh, in the actual gallery itself. And so he's really created a real expanded cinema, um, both in a kind of mainstream way and in in the visual arts. So please join me in welcoming Isaac Julian.
1: Thank you very much for that very kind introduction. And um, I'm very honoured, really, to have this piece of work in your collection and to be part of such a fantastic show. And I'd like to um, congratulate the curators um, and the technicians for being so patient um, in installing this work, Um, which is a demanding work to install. And also, um, I'd like to... um, said I think that this show is really a tour de force, and um, it it was an incredible achievement. What I was going to do today was just talk a little bit about some of my ideas in relationship to um, making works, and to try to complement some of the themes in the exhibition, and uh, I think we can think about, obviously, the influence of um, the computer since the mid-1990s. The computer has become a defining signifier in all our lives. And the question we need to ask is how this transforms contemporary art as we know it. A further question suggested by the curatorial theme of this exhibition, how does cinema effect actually affect contemporary art, references a technological revolution that occurred over 100 years ago But the cinema effect, I think we can say, affects an incredible, incredible radical term within contemporary art. As the title of the panel at Art Basel year put it, how contemporary would art be without video? Another question posed by the current exhibition, which I think applies particularly to my own work, is how the cinematic digital revolution affected artists' strategies in responding to the current political and cultural realities. My works utilize digital and cinematic and photographic technologies to critically blur realities. And this exhibition rightly named the cinema effect, hints at the possibility that new technologies do not necessarily produce paradigmatic shifts, although of course they could. Cinema may still be having an effect. There is still an echo perhaps of works by Soviet filmmakers such as Vertov and Eisenstein, which reacted to the mona- mechanical revolution which was taking place, where particularly with Vertov, the everyday was blurred into the pretext of the montage effect. These works which reacted to the man- mechanical revolution in film and photography can still be said to be having an effect on works which are currently on show here today. Of course, we know that new technologies are no guarantee for the production of a better art, but we might want to ask what would be contemporary about contemporary art without it. Marks, I think, um, our particular moment is the influence of cinema and its digital effects, which is everywhere to be seen in contemporary art practice, from painting to photography and, of course, to films in the gallery context. And it is also claimed now that new digital technologies are producing new ways of seeing and influencing our subjectivity and hence producing new spectators. But what are these artworks of a new generation? The projected image of cinema effect dissolves the traditional objects we associated with art or do they lose their objecthood entirely as they melt into systems of digital and cinematic space? Furthermore, how are artists choosing to exhibit their works in relation to these new conditions? There are many examples of this in this current exhibition created by Hirschhorn's distinguished creators, which all pose pertinent questions about the contemporaneity, the spatial temporality and time effects of this new art. But the cinema effect in relationship to my own work is one I do not want to fix, when discussing it, because sometimes fixing its meaning is something that obviously artists want to resist. I've been working for several years on a trilogy of audiovisual film installations which include True North, Phantom Afrique, and Western Union Small Boats which were shown at Metro Pictures in the Four in 2007. True North and Phantom Afrique were, together forms Phantom Creole which were commissioned by Central Pompidou in 2005 exploring the impact of location, both culturally and physical, through the juxtaposition of, global and, uh, through the juxtaposition, sorry, of opposing global regions. True North was shot in the spectacular landscapes of northern Sweden and Iceland, and was conceived around the expedition and writings of Matthew Henson, one of the key members of Robert E. Perry's 1909 Arctic expedition. Henson, who was African-American and who is buried here in Washington, was controversially and arguably the first person to reach the North Pole. Phantom Afrique, which you have here as an image in, um, before you, weaves cinematic and architectural references through the rich imagery of Wagadougou the center of Burkina Faso, which is also the center for African cinema, which has had a film festival called Sparco, which has been running for 30 years. So between these spaces and the arid spaces of Burkina Faso's countryside, the installation is punctuated by archive footage from early colonial expeditions and political landmarks in African history. Phantom Creole is a poetic synthesis of these works, as a rearticulation articulation of topography a multilinear narratives into a mosaic structure. I was invited to discuss my work, so I guess I might be, it might be very useful just to jump straight into um, what I might call the bricolage approach. This is the creation of work from a diverse range of things, from which those happen to be available. A person who engages in a bricolage is a bricoleur, someone who invents his or her own strategies for using existing materials in a creative, resourceful, and original way. We can see this in the way the piece interweaves and juxtaposes opposing signs and images the polar regions of the globe versus the equatorial center. Taking these parts of the world and bring them together implies that there is a phantom repressed in our globalized scene which I would like to see um, theorized is the fear of creolization, among other things and other ecological questions. In an article entitled Creolization in Double Consciousness, the French writer and poet Edward Glissant states, The most human intense form of metamorphosis and one of humanity's great ambitions is creolization. He continues, A geopoetics can understand the world. A geopolitics can destroy the world. And he goes on to say the rewriting of reality of creolization is the issue. Creolization was born of defeat. End of quote. Creolization has something which I think resonates in America when Glisson says, Quote, Creolization is not only the Caribbean's most precious good, but it's also the only durable future for the American continent, End of quote. Perhaps that's why we might be having a Creole president next year in this city. My recent projects have been an attempt at the visual archaeological expedition in transatlantic space and the cultural diaspora. True North and Phantom Afrique are two free-screen installations which have been formed into a four-screen work in Phantom Creole. Phantom Creole, which was commissioned by the Pompidou together with several other museums, was a curatorial project of Christine Van Nash for my solo show in 2005, and its four-screen installation juxtaposes, of course, African and Arctic spaces. The curator, Mark Nash, in his essay on the work, writes the following. The two protagonists, Vanessa Mari, who appears in Baltimore in 2002, and the dancer Stephen Galloway, are not characters with dialogue and implied interiority. Rather, they seek to link together scenes between African city and desert scapes, and between the Arctic North and the arid South. The lack of narrative connection signals an intellectual proposition concerning issues connecting these spaces as well as Julian's interest in a creolized vision to create new ideas from the movements and connections between spaces. This disjunctive juxtaposition in film parlance, parallel montage, put the spectator in the position of constructing meaning and through the positioning of the screens which forces the viewer to change position to grasp The totality of the presentation challenged the fixed position that single screen work entails. I am involved in making what I call a traveling cinema or cinematic artworks which travel and move against the tide of globalization. By this, I mean the global visual communication networks that form the hegemonies around the world, including, of course, Hollywood cinema. But nonetheless, I see myself and the subjects portrayed in the work as transnational subjects making interventions into circum-Atlantic diasporic cultures. The Creole language, one which was spoken by my familiar surroundings, is transcoded into a geopoetics, a rewriting and a repicturing of geography, location, and time zones. In Phantom Creole, the multiple screen projections are a key element for the syntactic articulation of symmetric and asymmetric narratives, utilising four screens for grounds of presentation of a state of double consciousness. The instances of hybridization of space, the ecology of movements from north to south, is broken down beyond simple geographical binderisms. In the context of increasing globalised space, it becomes impossible to draw the rigid visual boundaries between territories. These ideas are translated and mirrored in Phantom Creole in its montage strategy and by the ultrasonic 5.1 syncopated soundtrack creating continuities and discontinuities between the separate, separate images projected on the four screens. The far-screen structure acts as an instrument or form for separating scenes with a view to contrasting them, fusing diverse representations, but also provides a visual poetics of exploring contradictory images which refuse easy readings and direct meanings. Multiple projections have only been made possible, of course, in a gallery context through the movement of this digital era, I want to do away with the apparent opposition of artistic mediums, film installation, analog digital, and one of my long-term objectives is to make work which breaks down the barriers which exist between different artistic disciplines. A self-reflective practice which draws from and comments on film, dance, photography, music, painting, sculpture, which aims to both unite and deconstruct these forms. I'd like to achieve what Andre Bazan calls the horizontal the horizontality of time in cinema and the depth of time in painting. I'm able to do this in part by the use of the complex montage techniques, where the gallery space is transformed into an immersive architectural field in which the spectator is engulfed within the four-screen configuration, in what is in effect a Cinerama-type panoramic environment. Hopefully, the spectator is able to meander between the different narrative threads that intersect each other, creolizing a remapping of global regions, as I already mentioned. This visual recomposition of sonic overlapping comments on the spectralization of cultures in these globalized regions, the melting of ice, the influence of Hollywood cinema in the so called third world, and the impact of computerized technologies in producing cinematic images, which are all part of this. States of tension are created between the adjoining screens, a montage of attraction is replaced by editing of attraction, as a jungling of striking juxtapositions positions and distinctive shots are portrayed. For me, the question of indexicality is of paramount importance, as this is what I interpret by the title realisms for the second installment of the and Cinema Effect Show. As the writer Wers Vergess has commented, quote, the space of Julian's phantom Creole engages the viewer with a range of content through which the considerable sophistication he breaks with the indexical bond between image and referent. The Creole space echoes the post-colonial condition, no fixed meaning, multi-spatialization, the play of difference, end of quote. Following on from Verge's observation, the film theorist and creator Mark Nash poses a problem in this reading when he says, quote, My question concerns the question of the index Nearly all of Julian's films' works are based on the analogue film medium, which is then worked digitally and displayed usually from a DVD format. In the process of many editing adjustments, which are made to enhance the image quality, changes of colour, contrast, removal of hairs, scratches, etc., Occasionally, in Baltimore, use is made of CGI. The force of such work is that it enhance the reality effect of the moving image in both Phantom African True North and Phantom Creole. We believe correctly that these works represent materials shot in climatical challenging locations. Image represents place at the same time, constructs to another imaginary space. End of quote. Mark Nash goes on to say... Quote, despite the constructedness of this image, it is important for the film that we see, real eyes, characters who are really coloured. The, ind- the indexical bond between image and referent is impossible and is also important despite the torsions that Julian imposes, end of quote. To end with Kirsten Hillman's essay, Julian presents the possibility of expanding the way reality is depicted to better fit and celebrate the complexity of individuals, populations and places, end of quote. Expanding, then, on the themes of place, voyages, excursions, and expeditions are to be seen in the most recent work, which was shown at Metro Pictures, Western Union Small Boats, which was produced at a time when advances in global global telecommunications and new technologies are continually celebrated. One of the major questions arising from this development is the part that individuals may play in this flow of information. Questions surrounding the circulation of human lives, the movements of bodies, and their personal stories are timely when immigration policies generate on a um, controversy on a daily basis. The relationship between nations is much a source of debate around these questions. Such important geopolitical questions often avoid, however, giving voice and image to the individual. Human qualities are lost amongst the noise of political pronouncements. Western Union small boats proposes to get back to this in a very imagistic sense, where individual voyages and journeys and travels are explored in order to allude to the global scenario. It's the piece that traces the effects of trauma, not just in people, but also in buildings, in monuments, architectural life, by relocating themes in a non-narrative manner. A palazzo from Visconti's masterpiece, The Leopard, is one of the points for its visualisation. Western in Small Boats, which looks at a cinematic afterlife haunted by characters from other places and other films. A woman wanders lost through the rooms, the grandeur of interiors, interiors which were once opulent and luxurious, now abandoned, echoing the ghosts of decadent and lavish times. We hear the skull from the Leopard, but the rooms are now empty, resonated with the Sicilian history of migration. Internationally renowned choreographer Russell Maliphant, who worked with me on the piece, choreographed several vignettes in several locations in the work, utilizing dance, movements of the body, echoing these journeys, but also rearticulating them. The work concerns journeys made across the Mediterranean, the journeys of so-called clandestines, escaping wars and famines. They can be seen as economic migrate, migrants, along with certain Europeans, Angels, in Walter Benjamin's terms, who bear witness to modernity's failed hopes, dreams, and who now travel across oceanic spaces, some never to arrive or return. Campo Bianco is the site of Adriana's story of how she came to be in Agrigento. We see a beautiful coastline, a beach with holidaymakers, an iconic scene of picturesque beauty, but a scene where perhaps a tragedy took place. Her journeys alluded to through the sound collage and montage techniques and multiple prismatic views with pictorial references to objects, fishing nets, the side of a boat, the back of a head, the sea in its many moods and manifestations. Western Union small boats focus specifically on the effects that journeys such of these which have been made to Sicily, the southern coast of the island of Sicily just 100 miles, Lampedusa, um, where it has very close proximity to North Africa, is one of the main points of entry. Thousand people have left these camps in Libya, and they set out in larger boats, and then transferred to mid-sea to highly overcrowded small and fishing boats, where they left left adrift for days on end until they're spotted by coast guards or sink. Fishermen have been def- at the front line of what is frequently s- described by the Italian media as the Sicilian Holocaust, as they often spot the boats first. In this piece, the themes are hinted at as these new configurations of reality and traumas um, are displayed in elliptical fashion. So what I'd like to do now is just to show um, an extract from Western Union's Small Boats. Thank you. you
2: know, it's, it's interesting to me that you sort of identified these, this idea of global networks that in some ways are are homogenizing a vision of the world rather than Creolizing a vision of the world. So that's that's kind of the theme that I'd like to flesh out a little bit. And I thought that maybe one of the ways to start out is to talk about Phantom Creole, the piece that's in the exhibition, and the cinematic references that occur in in the piece itself. Um, You show movie posters and film canisters and also footage. And I was just wondering if you could talk about the range of references you're making in those parts of this piece and talk about whether they're part of the global networks <laughs> that of you know, representation or if they're working against those networks of representation.
1: Well I think, you know, one of the, um, you know, fantastic things about the exhibition is really the way in which we all find ourselves in this sort of in-between space uh, around the notion of identification, you know, because I think you know, that in a way the globalized networks are very powerful and they're very seductive and you know I don't just do a way of entertainment you know so it's not that one would sort of be necessarily against this form of um, seduction and I think that's perhaps one of the reasons why um, sort of we could see that one of the most popular films um, in Burkina Faso was all the adventure films of Wesley Snipes really? and all the sort of um, sort of you know um you know, fantastic sort of, you know, special effect Hollywood films. You know, the science fiction films were very, very popular with those audiences. I mean, one of the striking things about um, shooting, for example, in Burkina Faso, um, which has had this amazing film festival for Sp- for Spaka for thirty years, which is a little bit like the Cannes Film Festival of Africa, if you like. is really this kind of um, tension between the francophone cinema, you know, the French speaking. Um, culture which is very supported by um, the French and really the sort of tension in terms of those industries which have developed in this space because of this interest in cinema and I think um, for me it's very interesting to think about the piece and to think about um, in the beginning of the piece um, we see as it were my muse Vanessa Mari walking into the cinema and the film that she's looking at, and the others who are looking at the film in this open-air cinema, is a film um, which is actually made by a filmmaker from Burkina Faso, um, and this film actually won a prize at the Cannes Film Festival. So there is an indigenous cinema, um, which is also in operation. But, of course, I also reference the reels of the Hollywood films as well, which are also being seen. So there's this sort of tension really, I think, between this notion of sort of identification um, and sort of also the possible alternative models, which are sort of being proffered. But of course, in the actual installation piece, it's very much a piece which is really much exploring the idea of a spatial temporality and the claims of modes of attention. And if you like images, which are sort of um, being, if if you like, compressed together, mm. um, to form this kind of rereading of geography, if you like, and location, mm. and in a way, forming a sort of dislocation because you're sort of elsewhere, but you're in this, you are. There there are these indexical spaces, you know. There are real spaces um, that one's filming, and there's this sort of, if you like, um marriage between that in relationship to the kind of aesthetic strategies in, in the piece itself. So I don't know if that answers your question.
2: Yeah, you have. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so are you positioning, would you say you're positioning that piece as more of an exploration or is there an element of critique embodied within in the piece of sort of Hollywood portrayals um, that make their ways or sort of that compete with an indigenous cinema?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think sort of, you know, that in a way, one in a piece like this is, you know, utilising the technique of of cinematic effects, um, and in a way, putting those to another sort of use, you know. And so, um, you know, I think in terms of, you know, the framing, the sort of esthetics, there is a sort of question of pleasure that's involved in making those images, and there is this involvement in. Um, what is, I guess, ostensibly a sort of beautiful woman who is transverse in these different spaces. Mm -hmm. So I think there's this sort of element, if you like, of um, this sort of, if you like, this contaminated, aesthetical approach. At the same time, I'm really trying to sort of mime these other histories. So in the case of the kind of Drew North, she's very much miming Matthew Henson's sort of... um, you know, sort of journey to the, um, to the North Pole, and she's, in a, in a sense, um, is it, trying to rearticulate that history for a new generation, for a new audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, there are both these things that are happening in tandem in the, spe- in the piece. In the same way that Stephen Galloway, um, who had danced for 20 years with Ballet Frankfurt, William Forsythe, it was the first time that he had actually been to Africa, mm. so there is this primal scene in the piece, in the sense that it's the revisitation of, you know, um, people who were obviously, you know, the sort of southern daughters of slaves um, who are returning back to this kind of scene, and sort of, in a way, re-articulating these hi- sort of histories, architecture, and movements. So I think all those things were just sort of at work in the piece. Mm-hmm. But I was very struck um, in Wagadougou by the sort of architectural sort of relationships that they were very interested in their version of postmodernism architecturally. And of course, they're very, very passionate about cinema mm-hmm. as well. And so there is this sort of, you know, relationship to technology, to sort of um, th- these different ways of reading, if you like, which I think you know, are not always, of course, at the centre. You know, it's not something you're going to read in New York times, but, you know, they will have a view of the world from that perspective. And so it's it's just trying to get that sort of different view, if you like, mm-hmm. um, as well as something that could be sort of possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Wait, and it, it's interesting um, because I think another thing that you did, differently in your work and not only in Phantom Creole but sort of your your documentary and feature films as well as the, um, the art installations is approach characterization differently and you just, you mentioned Matthew Henson and how in some ways Vanessa Vanessa's character evokes Matthew Henson in Phantom Creole and you're sort of substituting a woman for a male um, and very much having a person move through contemporary spaces while you're looking at a historical figure. And you've taken on other subjects, other actual people as subjects like Derek Jarman and Langston Hughes and Melvin Van Peebles and I'm wondering um, in terms of this idea of representation and even you mentioned the, um, you mentioned in your talk the ethics of reality and I'm thinking about the ethics of representation. I'm wondering how you sort of approach these actual figures and their representation in your work. Um, you know, how do you, how do you balance metaphor and sort of factual description and how do you sort of deal with real people in an ethical way?
1: Well, the funny <laughs> story really is the Melvin Van People story and shooting Baltimore and making a waxwork of Melvin Van People's and the reason why that came about was going to the Great Blacks in Wax Museum and seeing all these wax works, some which were fantastic and some which were not, and realising, well, Melvin Van Peebles isn't here, and making a wax work of Melvin, um, which he sort of agreed to do, um, and then placing that wax work um, in the Waters Art Museum among sort of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, and in a way, kind of posing this question about the role of the artists or, or the role of the black artists if, within that culture. I mean, that was the kind of question that I was sort of trying to pose in that work. And of course, Mervvan Peoples, you know, he's very interested in representing himself, doesn't really need me to represent him. You know, he's made several films and is an iconic figure. Um, nonetheless, I felt in making that piece of work, I was trying to really comment about what, I mean, someone like Melvin, who's a sort of avant-garde figure, if you like, "Sweet Sweet bat- Badass Song, is a sort of avant-garde film, and really it's about the, where is that sort of artist who has that positionality, where is that represented in a cultural sense, you know, and so, um, of course, Melvin people would completely disagree with me and say, oh, Isaac, you've got it all wrong, you know, <laughs> I'm about making money, you know, so I think sort of, um... There's that as a sort of strategy. But of course, in films like True North, it's very much a sort of Brechtian approach, really, where you basically work with a sort of implied sense of interiority, but you don't sort of display in the kind of hollywood and way. You don't sort of have the actors performing out, you know, characters in that kind of sense like a Hollywood actor would do. And so, this idea of performance. Um, which is a kind of different strand, really, of thinking about that in relationship to film, is something which develops from my interest in Breston and really thinking about um, the sort of interrelatedness between the sort of everyday and the performance that you can sort of ascertain from um, a person when filming. So I think there are those kinds of relationships. But I think, if I think about the German film, um, um, which I collaborated with Tilda Swinton, it's very much trying to kind of, in a way, performing a homage, as in the case of Langston Hughes, looking for Langston, and really thinking about the ways in which you might be able to create, um, how you might recreate that spirit, if you like, and um, and what would be the best way of sort of doing that. In the case of um, Derek, where he was able to speak for himself as so to speak, from the grave, you know, and we just let him out of the bottle, so to speak, you know, and literally sort of um, in the film, we were lucky to have this interview with Derek, so he, you know, was able to articulate really his own history, and Tilda Swinton's work was really about trying to make a sense of that for the present, you know, and how would you make a, a sort of new audience a younger audience, an audience that wouldn't be familiar with those histories um, from the 60s and 70s and 80s, how would that be read now? And so there you are know, all these different strategies. In the case of looking for langston, it's very much about trying to think about the ways in which, um, how do you represent silences? You know, How do you talk about someone's sexual identity when it was all about it being sort of, you know... Um, disclosed in a very private world. So, yep.
2: Well, so and how how does your selection of these subjects work? I guess what I'm interested in is, is understanding, in terms of your characterization, how much of it is the figure and how much of it is you. I mean, I think it's it's interesting too that often you appear in your films in some way or another. Um, and, and I'm I'm asking these questions to get at this idea of of realism, and you know, sort of what what are we seeing that we can maybe identify as truth, or is there no truth, or is the truth what we're seeing through your through your eyes?
1: Well, the first appearance of myself in a in a piece of work was was a corpse in Looking for Langston, and the reason why that was was really a pun, the deftly author at that particular time, but it was also to do with the kind of um, sort of the, the kinds of things that one was facing at quite a young age, sort of in the late 80s, where lots of pe- of your friends were dying from AIDS, and so the, the, there are these two parts to it. Um, but certainly in a piece like um, Phantom Creole, it's very much about having the sort of um, foregrounding the kind of apparatus um, in the subjection sort of sense. Of filmmaking and to expose that sort of activity so in the sort of bicycle scene which is also a pun on bicycle fees, the sort of you know the crew is at work and all of that is kind of shown purposefully um, just a foreground that and it's of course shot in front of a cinema one of the most important cinemas during the Fispaco Film Festival in Burkina Faso. So there's all of this kind of signifying. And of course, the bike stops at um, a poster with Dennis Washington, you know, which is, you know, he's a very big star, of course, there. And so there's, there are all these sort of elements that one is sort of signifying. And so those kinds of um, realities are foregrounded, of course, to, in a way, break open that sort of illusionistic quality of. Um, filming and film itself.
2: And so, so do you believe it's it is possible to sort of capture the essence of someone like Matthew Henson or, or Derek Jarman or Langston Hughes, in on film, or do they do they become kind of symbols of something else for you?
1: Well, of course, you know they become symbols of something else and. That the sake of sounding pretentious, I mean, there's also the kind of Foucauldian idea of there being a regime of truth, if you like, you know, and I think there is that aspect that one also is trying to explore. Um, so I think um, there are these sort of two tensions which are always in operation.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because I've heard you sort of talk about your interest in, in archives and sort of conservation and archaeology and... I mean, are are those kinds of parallel for you? Are those parallel roles or parallel jobs to the role or job of a filmmaker to act as an archivist?
1: I think in the, the notion of the archive is something that's been very important, you know, and I think in all these instances, whether it's a German film, whether it's looking for Langston, whether it's um, even a, a film of, like True North. Um, To a certain extent, um, Western Union small boats, the question of the archive is is always resonating. And I think that um, question of genealogy of history is something that's really very important to me Mm -hmm. in terms of exploring and making that become something re-articulated to in a contemporaneous sense.
2: So then um, then maybe a concluding question on, on my part and we can open up to other people to ask questions. Ultimately, do you see your work, and I'm interested in both sort of the work that's screened in theatres or on television, and the work that's um, shown in a gallery or museum context, do you see it as closer to documentary or to fiction filmmaking?
1: Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think, you know, that it, it's a very interesting question, because I think that's been... I think in Documentary 11, one of the sort of themes is really about the idea of the documentary being a, an art form. And Of course, you know, we know that it's an art form in terms of Vertov, Eisenstein, you know, it's always been an art form. And so, the project documentary has always been part of a certain art experience. And so, in a way, I mean, I see all film as fiction, you know, so, you know, I know that, you know, in the sense that a documentary is always constructed, and the fiction films constructed, but really what we're talking about are genres, I think. Mm. And then we expect these certain ways of genres to behave or to be read or to be made. But I think, obviously, there is something about reality, (laughs) to use your term, the idea of realisms, as something that is haunting the spectre, I think, of contemporary art, and I think that's something, you know, that has come back, really, and whether it's to do with, like, Global, te- global telecommunication revolution, which we experience where you know, we Google and we can find out about the world much quicker. Um, you know, whether it's the sort of 9-11, whether it's the fact that all these ecological issues are all part of a sort of vocabulary you know, of interests which propel one to think about um, the sort of environment That one lives in, and I think those questions, obviously, are sort of there. At the same time, I think for me, it's very important the whole idea of aesthetics. You know that that's really very important. That those things, you know, are the things in a sense also why I make work. You know, and so I think there's always that that's also kind of important tension.
2: Aesthetics, and I've. One more question then. <laughs> aesthetics in terms of sort of the formal makeup of your work or aesthetics in the sense of achieving something that's beautiful? I know you expressed a concern a little bit earlier today about something being too beautiful and a message not coming across through it. So so are you interested in achieving beauty or are you sort of interested in kind of formally what the medium of film, film can do or both?
1: Well, I know that beauty has been a big topic in America and we don't sort of debate it the same way in Europe. Um, But I think that basically in terms of sort of, I think it's a question of pleasure. And I think for me, there's always this sort of um, important aspect in relationship to making something. I think, you know, if you used to, my my comparison might be a bit banal, but really, you know, if if you have someone, you know, like Marvin Gaye, you know, singing a song about you know protests you know what 's going on you know that, you know that song in quite an incredible way, you know, and I think in a way I, not that one sees oneself as you know doing that exactly, but I do think the the question of poetics is part of also the articulation of it, and so I think there's that.